Hello, my name is Makani Kikahuna, and welcome to the show. to just go ahead and drop one real quick um, I've mentioned this before it is very difficult to get guests to be on a podcast and uh, I don't know what the hesitation is uh, maybe from two small potatoes or people don't like hearing their own voice or they think it's going to be political I don't know what the deal is but uh, it's just hard to get people to come on so I think my strategy now is to just talk to people I know and get people I know's story rather than going after uh, the bigger story, at least for now. So, um, it's Monday afternoon. We are in the midst of Corona Gate or COVID Gate, whatever you want to call it. I am sitting at home. Uh, it's about two o'clock in the afternoon. And normally I would be at work, but my hours were recently cut in half, so I've got some time on my hands. Um, so there's really no excuse not to do a podcast, uh, besides the not having guests part of it. Um, I really have been eating non-stop since I got home, it feels like, two hours ago. I had some peanut butter pretzels some spicy pickles, some macaroni and cheese that I made last night, uh, an orange, and a cookie. So, I'm really making the most of my time. Um, che is napping in the other room. Laura is also home, working from home at the moment. Um, so I'm going to record this while it's a little bit quiet in the house, and and uh, we'll get going. This is a very cool episode with uh, Dwayne uh, Quintana. Uh, I've known her since... Uh, uh, we'll talk about it in the episode, but... Uh, she's a really fascinating person. Really good, uh, interesting, compelling uh, journey she's been on. And she lays it all out uh, for us, the listener. Um... So I hope you like this episode. I hope that you are glad that I dropped a new episode, and maybe with this time on my hands, I can drop a few more. Um, I have mentioned this on Facebook. Uh, you know, I'm always looking for guests, and if you have something you want to talk about and want to get off your chest, or you just feel like your story has not been heard or is not known, I'd be happy to have you on as a guest. Uh, yeah, and like I said, it's not a political show. I'm not trying to stir up any kind of, uh, uh, whatever. I don't know. Um, I just want to tell people stories, and people do have interesting stories, and the idea being that people live between cultures, um, 
I'm sure we could shoehorn you into that uh, motif. So, yeah, hit me up. Send me a text. Send me a message. We'll get you on. So anyways, uh, here we go, episode 13. We're back. Bye. Okay, everybody, this is Gino. Um, we're back at it again on Native as I Can Be Between Two Cultures. Very, very excited about our guest today. Um, I have known this guest probably, I don't know, 15 years maybe, which is unbelievable. But my guest today is Dwayne. How do you say your last name? Quintana. Quintana, Dwayne Quintana. Um, Welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gino. So I originally met um, Dwayne in Boise, Idaho, uh, back in 04, 05, I think, somewhere in there. And I was uh, volunteering at an HIV testing uh, facility, I guess you could call it, there in Boise, and you were the founder of it, is that right? That's correct. This is the Alpha Allies link for the prevention of HIV and AIDS. It was a really cool thing. Free HIV testing. Um, I really enjoyed my time there. But uh, we can uh, go back a little further okay. and, and talk about uh, kind of where you grew up and, uh, you know, your kind of family situation. Okay. Um, so... I grew up in a small town in Idaho called Wendell, which was about 100 miles from Boise, kind of in the, it's in the Magic Valley, so near Twin Falls. Um, and uh, it was also called the Hub City, um, but it was a town of less than, it was around 3,000 people. Um, I grew up in a, uh, I grew up in a fam, with a family that, um, valued generosity and kindness and um but um also uh we were we were poor i grew up in a I grew up i spent most of my life in a trailer growing up um and uh, my dad um had um used substances for a good part of my younger years and um so that definitely kind of um i guess Painted, I guess, my childhood, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, honestly, I don't remember a lot of what happened, like my life before age twelve, um, which has been something at this time of my life. I've really been kind of contemplating a little bit more about and kind of been really curious about it. Um, but I never, and I don't think that it was because my life was so horrible or like things were so whatever. But I do think that. Maybe it was just a bit much for me to handle, yeah. <laughs> um, given my sensitive nature, I guess. Um, but who knows? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I grew up. I grew up in that small town, and um, yeah, um, I. My family. It's like I always never. I never really quite felt like I fit in with my family, and. I really kind of felt like my family didn't think I really fit into 
Um, mm-hmm. I think we all love each other. We just didn't know how to how to be with one another. Um, I happened to do really well in school. Um, I got involved with church when I was really young. Um, and I just seemed to have a lot of things going for me, which was not something that was something that my family really wanted to like support and like nurture and really help. Um, but um, they didn't really know how to. Um, what, was, it, uh, sorry, what was, is the family religious? Were, were you all sort no, of involved in church or was it just you? Actually, no. Like my family was not um, church going folk. So church is kind of where I, it's just where I went. I had an aunt who took me when I was young and it was just a place that I really, I really enjoyed. Um, it was a place that I felt comfortable. I think it was a place that I felt safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I don't know, I just, it, I just liked uh, who I could be at church. Um, I had a harder time being myself um, in other places, like at home or at school. I worked so hard to get good grades and to do well that I kind of lacked in the social aspect of things from, from like my point of view. So uh, so then you were saying there that uh, you didn't feel like you felt like you fit in the family and they didn't. What would be an example of, of something like that? Or is it just kind of a vibe that you were all um, feeling? I think it was on a lot of levels, um, but I, you know, I mean, there was a part of me, like, like I didn't want to be there, you know, like I really wanted to be like, go out into the world and have some sort of success. Um, and like, you know, maybe make money. I wanted to be an architect. I wanted to build a home, you know, maybe for me and my family at some point. And my family really wanted that for me, but it, I think it was the belief that many people in my life didn't have that opportunity you know like I was really kind of other than my aunt was kind of the first one to really kind of go to to college or anything like that so it was like it was just uh it was just going off and into a world and doing things that that um I seemed to be suited for but that people in my family had never um had an opportunity to to experience I guess they kind of just stuck around Wendell yeah yeah, and the, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think it's just something like I just didn't fit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I, I, you know, I'm I'm a queer person, and I've always been, um, and I think that that was an element of it, even though I I didn't know it at the time. Like I didn't have the words for it, and mm-hmm. like, I wasn't. I don't think I was in an environment in which allowed me to really like allow me to be as full as Mm -hmm. I guess I am now um and so I think there was that element as well as like that was a way for me to get to get into a different environment to get out into the world um and to meet different people and And I think small town Idaho or or, I don't know small town anywhere really doesn't seem to me like the kind of place that's really going to facilitate that uh lifestyle if you want to call it that but that's not slander. That's just sort of my. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I think it's really hard to be a queer kid or like a you know in in a small town area. And I don't think it's necessarily. I mean, you know, it's it was tough. You know, like I I never realized it. Like now I have you know like I can look back and I can have words for it. But my dad censored my femininity. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I put my hand on my face or. If I wasn't sitting the right way or 
um, if I wasn't speaking up loud enough or like those sorts of things, my dad would kind of correct me about that. Yeah. And, um, and I, at the time I didn't necessarily know why, but, um, but I realized that those were more, I guess, feminine ways of being in the world. Um, and I don't think my dad, I don't even know if he was really aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was just his way of trying to protect me and trying to build me into a person that wasn't going to be vulnerable right. in the world. Um, but it was really, um, it really stunted my, it really stunted my um, ability to really like be myself and to let myself out and to really come to understand who that was. Um, so, so do you think, so you had these plans uh, or ideas to go to college and be an architect and um, uh-huh. do you think that the... Um, that may be underlying those um, aspirations was being queer and that, you know, you want to go do these big things and maybe you can't do them in Wendell, but maybe part of it was like, I think I can grow and be more who I am outside of this bubble. You know, I mean, I think there might have been something like my spirit might have been very aware of that, but I, I definitely didn't have I didn't have that sort of experience. Like I didn't, I like even as a teenager, like I didn't, um, I didn't question my sexual orientation. I didn't question my gender. Um, I, but I wasn't sexually active. I was very active in church. And I think church was maybe a place where I also could kind of, you know, there wasn't the expectation of being sexual or being, you know, having any sort of sexuality really. And so, I think for me, that's why I might have also been drawn to that area because I think I just wasn't in an environment in which I could really, um, I guess, connect with. I don't know. It just it just wasn't a part of my life before I I moved away. And then once I moved away, I was able to kind of like um, explore that a little bit. Um, and even I, even that was kind of like scary and an accident and. I didn't really know, like it wasn't intentional it was just something that I came to understand and see about myself that was there all along mm-hmm. that I just never allowed myself to to embrace wow that's uh, so how old were you then when that that's so that's obviously after you moved out of Wendell so uh so, yeah, how, so how, I, how did you end up out of uh, getting out of Wendell so I graduated when I graduated high school um you know, like I'd worked so hard to get good grades so that I could get like a, uh, like some sort of a scholarship or some sort of opportunity, like to go do something. But I didn't know like that I was supposed to like apply for schools and like, you know what I mean? Like there was mm-hmm. a process to getting into a school. And so I actually ended up going to, I moved out to Phoenix, Arizona, where I got accepted into a technical institute where I started studying architectural drafting. Um, and I moved out there and I stayed with an aunt who, um, who was the aunt who first got me into church uh, when I was young, and she was also the only other person in our family that ever kind of went to a higher education. She went to DeVry when she was young as well. And so um, she was definitely kind of a mentor and kind of a hero of mine. Like she was somebody who, who got away and went on to this life that was different than where we had come from. Shout out to Phoenix, my old hometown, by the way. Right. Um, I, I had listened to one of your uh, – I would listened to a few of your podcasts and heard that you had spent some time in 
Apache, was it Apache Junction? Yeah, Apache Junction, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's not quite Phoenix, I guess. That's sort of the, uh, that's the sort of, yeah, that's sort of the, uh, <laughs> the Nampa to Boise, I guess, is what, or maybe even the Caldwell to Boise, but, um, right. so was it in Phoenix area where you started to kind of realize these things about yourself and, and yeah. explore those ideas? Yeah, I mean, I think part of, I mean, it was such a huge culture shock for me, one, to just go from, like, this little teeny town to, like, this huge city that was, thankfully, it was really sprawled out, so it wasn't, like, moving to New York City or, like, even San Francisco, where I'm at now, where it's, like, a bunch of people on top of people, but there was still, like, a lot of people, and so that was quite the adjustment um, that I had, but, and I remember, like, accidentally showing up to this Denny's like I went out to Denny's with a bunch of friends from school from the tech school and then we had went to like the fair or something the city fair or county fair or something and we decided to stop by this Denny's at um and uh it was a Denny's that nickname was Jenny's and it was like this really gay kind of like <laughs> hangout where everybody went after the clubs and it, so it was like full of gay people like flamboyant and wild and I was just like I was like enamored but also like petrified Mm -hmm. um and because I'd never seen I'd never seen people before let alone like so many of them (laughs) um and so um and then I was also with people that I didn't know you know how they would be about it all and and even I think even at that time I didn't realize that I was why I was so scared or why I was you know, like, I don't even think I really realized at that time either. Um, but I eventually had a couple experiences where, like, I met guys online and met, like, on a phone. I met a guy on a phone. And um, I, I really had a hard time with it because I was also such a, like, a spiritual person. Like, I went to school for architectural drafting and then actually uh, dropped out of that halfway through the program because I felt called to, to work in, uh, to be a pastor. So... I went to Grand Canyon University, which is a Southern Baptist university, um, where I was ma- just right outside of, like, in the Phoenix area, where I majored in theater and I minored in Christian studies. And I wanted to work with youth people, youth, youth like, with youth mm-hmm. and kind of, like, theater and kind of, like, in, like, a church setting, because um, that was something I got to do when I was younger, and I loved it. So was your family supportive of a, of a big move like this, to move down to Phoenix and... Yeah, yeah, my family was super supportive, and, you know, like, they definitely, like, I think, you know, they definitely, like, aspired for this life for me just as much as I did, you know what I mean? Like, they were super, super supportive in all the ways that they could. Um, But there was, I was definitely trying to be really mindful, because when my aunt went away, I felt like there was this idea, like, she went off, and somehow she became better than everyone else. Um, and it, there, that was sort of the perception that I heard a lot growing up. And I, I never wanted to be like the person who went off to, to have a different type of life, but I never wanted them to think that I thought I was better than them. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and I, I now have, I have a relationship with my aunt now again. And, uh, you know, like that's definitely, you know, like, I don't know. It's just like, I don't have that, that feeling about her that they, they spoke of a lot of when I was growing up. So, and in some ways, I think that really held me back, actually. My want to still keep my family 
I don't know, like, I still feel like I struggle. I Sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like I still live in that trailer house. Um, and, and uh, yeah, and I just, I, that's just not where I live anymore. Uh, you know, and it's interesting, that's, in, that's something that is in a lot of, it's in Native culture, too. It's like, all right, do you stay on the res and kind of, you know, uh, grind it out, or you leave the res and you go out and you try to become something and, you know, there's, there's a, you know, like, oh, he thinks he's better than us. He's going to leave the res and the people who leave the res don't come back. And, you know, it's just like a, it's, it's a very hard decision to make. But I also think that they like, they want that for me too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? It's this weird sort of like, and I think they're conflicted too in the sense of like, I want you to go do that and be away, but I also want you here with me. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I have a lot of that kind of back and forth with my family I've had over the years, for sure. Um, yeah. But, yeah, where do I go from there? But basically, like, I um, I just don't even know where to go. Do you have a prompt for me? Um, <laughs> okay, so, yeah, so you, you switched over to Grand Canyon uh, University or State, yeah. whatever it was, and started dipping into theater and and Christian studies. Christian studies. I mean, that's a pretty good jump from arch- ar- architecture to yeah uh, theater. When I was, I was still super, super involved with church. I was super, super involved when I was growing up. I was super involved once I got to Arizona. And so, like, it really made a lot of sense to me and probably, like, people in my family. Like, it wasn't, like, out of character. Um, but that was also when I did, like, I did have, like, an experience with a guy sexually mm-hmm. i'd actually had an experience with a guy sexually when i was 16 too but i just thought that was some sort of like weird demon possession or fluke sort of thing <laughs> i don't know it was weird i had some cra- i had some crazy ideas um but i just thought that was a thing that happened and then i just never went there again and then i ended up hooking up with a guy and I, and it was like I, I met him i hooked up with him had a great time with him and then I went home and I burnt everything that had anything to do with that experience uh, because I just felt like it was like I wasn't supposed to be that way mm-hmm. um, but then you know and so that was a lot of my experience with being gay is that would happen and then I would retreat back and then that would happen again and um, I ended up um, I ended up dropping out of school my first semester with uh, Grand Canyon University I started ha- I they told me that they thought I had leukemia, which ended up being a misdiagnosis. But it was an opportunity for me to get out of school without having to like pay anything. Um, so I took it as a way of getting out and then to try to figure out like what I wanted to do. And at that time, I was dating a girl, um, and I loved her. I loved her. I really cared about her a lot. But she ended up dumping me because I wouldn't have sex with her, um, and. I just wasn't, you know, I I was intimately connected with her, but I wasn't connected with her in a sexual way. Um, and so I, you know, I, I broke her heart. Mm-hmm. Like I realized, I realized how hurt she was by that. And I was just like, you know, like you, this gay thing, maybe you need to like figure that out because it's not cool to bring other people into this. Um, mm-hmm. I was like 19 at the time and so like I um I turned 20 in February that was like January when she left me 
So February I turned 20, and then I was like, okay, I need to. I kind of came out to being gay to myself, mm -hmm. um, but not really anybody else. And so I got a job in a gay bar to learn how to be gay. And yeah. um, <laughs> and then like that May, uh, just a few months later, I was um, I was diagnosed with um, HIV, and uh, it was the it was like a huge shock to me. I can imagine. Um, well, no, I can't was, imagine, but. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, uh, well, let no. me stop you for a second. So, so you had had an experience or two with guys before, before uh -huh. you had actually kind of decided. I don't know. No, I didn't mean decided. Before you came to the realization, maybe that you were gay. Um, so, how did you get from um, ex just kind of experimenting to 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 figuring it out? And I guess what I'm asking is, what when you were having these other experiences, did you attribute those to curiosity or confusion, or how, how did that go? You know, I, I didn't necessarily know, and I had only had, like, a couple, ex like, a couple experiences. I had started dating a guy, that's why I even got tested, is because he had chlamydia, he was a bisexual guy, and he, so I went in and got tested, and that's when I found out, but it only had... It was like, uh, to me, I was really, spiritually, I was, I was really conflicted because it felt, I felt really drawn, drawn toward it. It felt, um, I don't know, I just felt like there was a pull in me. Um, but then it was like the churches and like the God aspect, it didn't seem to match. And I was really conflicted in my spirit with it. Um, I actually, and eventually I had like a, I've never really shared this, but I, I just really battled it. It was like, I burnt my clothes, you know, and like, mm -hmm. where I would like, you know, I would just kind of like try to put it away and then, um, and then it would like happen again or whatever, you know? And, um, I remember one night I was, I came home and I was just kind of upset and I was laying in my bed and I looked up in my wall and I, <laughs> I saw like in the wall, it was like. And it was, it wasn't like, it wasn't like this, like, crazy sort of thing, but I just saw an image of what it could be, what a lot of people say is the face of Jesus, which I don't necessarily mm -hmm. agree with now, but, you know, like, it was like, basically, like, Jesus was there, his face, uh, within, like, the texture of the wall, mm -hmm. um, but he was crying, and I, then all of a sudden, I just got, like, this feeling to write down something and I just wrote down like these words in the dark and I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and I read it and um, I wish I had it I'd share it with you but basically it was just kind of like a poem or like this thing and it was basically like just like asking God like where were you to stop me from these things you know like if you know like where were you and basically, I just got the message that, like, actually, like, God wasn't sad that I was, like, gay or doing gay things. He was actually sad that I was tormented by it. Yeah. Um, and, and that, for me, then got me to understand. And for a long time, I still just thought, like, okay, maybe I'm fucked up. Maybe I'm damaged. Uh, but I can't not be this way. Right. So I'm going to be this way. And God's going to love me anyway because he can understand why I'm this way, right? And it, for a long time, it was kind of this, like, 
negative aspect of myself or it was some sort of like almost defect if you will Mm -hmm. um and um and uh yeah and thankfully (laughs) i know i know different than that today but for a while there i really struggled and i really struggled with my relationship with god with my family with a lot of with a lot of different things um could you imagine though if that message um if people not only heard that message but felt that message not only about themselves but about other people you know where we would be at as a country because that's i think that's pretty powerful to you know even if to to have this um you know, experience that says, like, I'm not sad you are who you are, I'm sad that you're not cool with who you are. Yeah. It's, um, and I think if, in that, you know, God loves you anyway, maybe more, you know, um, that's really powerful. Yeah, I felt like that was, like, my understanding at that time, and that was okay, like, to kind of move forward, and then I got my HIV diagnosis, and that then, like, because I, I could still go to church and not talk about being gay because I felt like God was good with me, but I wasn't good. I didn't know about church people yet. And then when I got my HIV diagnosis, I felt like I really needed church. Like mm-hmm. I really like because they were the only thing that I had, and they were always the thing that kept me safe from the world. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I had this thing about me that I couldn't I couldn't bring to them. And so like I stopped doing church. Um, because I couldn't tell them mm-hmm. that I was a faggot with AIDS. And I use those words because that's how I was experiencing myself, and that's the way that I felt that the world saw me. And so it kind of um, it, it created a lot of trauma and a lot of um, heaviness for me, and it was not what I had planned. You know, that's, right. not what I was, that's not what I was supposed to do. I even believe that God wanted me to do amazing things for him. You know, like mm-hmm. I believe that God had created me in some special way to do some pretty cool shit. And I had fucked it up by getting AIDS, you know, and I was just like, I, it was a really hard um, reality for me to accept. Um, I really felt like I'd let myself down. I'd let my family down and I'd let God down. And uh, that's when I uh, started using substances. Um, well, what what year what year would this have been? So it was 1999. 99. So it's kind of post the big AIDS scare when well, it was yeah, largely well, mysterious. Exactly. And, well, it was just a couple years after because 1996 is when the new medications that came out that like caused like that took people off their deathbeds mm-hmm. and started to have allow people to have. Uh, have life and uh but i wasn't aware of that because i grew up in idaho and i didn't know shit about aids you know i only knew what i saw in the movie philadelphia mm-hmm. and the truth was i had hiv i didn't have aids right but i didn't even understand that difference and so it was a very scary and kind of traumatic experience for me and my family because of our our ignorance of our not knowing about the disease and treatments and how it was really going to impact my life um well and so that was, 
Go ahead. And, and around that time, I I think it would have been '95 or '96. Magic Johnson really put a face on and on HIV and made it less, you know, bathhouse, you know, yeah, you know, it wasn't triple X video, you know, whatever place, and it became like, oh gosh, anybody can get this. It's not just a gay man's disease. Kind of, but I think also like growing up in Idaho, that was like a big city thing. That was mm-hmm. like, you know, those city people. Like right. the, those were city people problems. You know, those weren't things that like small town folks would deal with. Um, so I think that was also kind of that belief. And then I didn't see myself as a gay, you know, like I hadn't saw myself as a gay man. So when I had like the time that I actually, when I got infected and there was only one time that I could have gotten infected and that's when I got infected, you know, and it was because I wasn't like, I wasn't concerned about HIV because I didn't know it was something I needed to be concerned about. I just didn't want to get a girl pregnant. Like that's my dad told me that my whole life. Um, and that wasn't a concern at that time. (laughs) Um, so, um, so I just was really kind of ignorant or naive. Mm -hmm. I, I just didn't know a lot. Um, and so, and that's really a lot of what kind of was the crux of creating Alpha, the HIV AIDS organization mm-hmm. uh, that I had founded was because our family was so, and you know, I started that when I was 24. So that was, you know, four years later after I had been able to kind of like, um, I guess, begin to accept it a little bit. Um, and deal with it and understand that maybe I wasn't going to die today, that mm-hmm. maybe I could live to be 26 or something. Um, so, well, so, yeah. So if you had had this, um, uh, you know, revelatory moment where God said he loved you anyways and then you find out this diagnosis, was there any, like, backtracking? Like, maybe oh, maybe I got that message all wrong and he gave me this. Uh, uh, did you ever have any moments like that or was it just... No, a, I never I never did kind of go back to that. Um, I I just kind of like, yeah, I never, I don't know why, but I just never did. I felt like it kind of gave me comfort in that moment with what I was dealing with and I haven't really thought to go back again, so to speak, uh, to get a similar comfort for whatever's going on you know, with, with HIV, because I was tormented by myself, and mm-hmm. I guess even in my own, like, understanding of God at that time, I, and I still, I, I think I still, I thought God, like, still loved me, and like, but I just couldn't, like, I don't know, it was kind of like I just put God on the shelf, and like, God was there, and God was, like, cool with me, but like, I just had no relationship with, with God in a way that I had before, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you tell your family? Yeah, I um, I actually ended up telling my family. I caught the first plane I could. I was diagnosed May 13th, and I caught the first plane I could home because I, I didn't, I mean, I was barely 20. Like, I just, I had no, I didn't have friends. I didn't, you know what I mean? I didn't really have a core group of people, and I also was afraid that I was going to die. And I felt like if I were to die before I could tell my parents, that that would, like, devastate them more than me having it. And I just kind of needed, I needed them. I 
know, like I needed their support. So I caught the first plane I could and I landed in Salt Lake City on Mother's Day and my parents drove up and picked me up and they brought me home and I had told myself that I was not going to tell them until the next day because I didn't want to tell them on Mother's Day and I was going to tell my mom and my dad and my little brother. I was going to tell my mom and my dad and my little brother who was 17 and then I was going to tell my mom and my dad's best friend and I was just going to say it once. That way they kind of knew it and then they would have the support to kind of deal with it and then that would be kind of it but um, it didn't quite roll out that thing. I, um, it was probably like 10 o'clock that night and my family, I had a really hard time composing myself, I guess. Mm-hmm. I had moments where I would uh, cry or I would, um, the family knew something was up. Yeah. Um, and they, my dad was, but they were just like, you know what, like we don't care if it's Mother's Day or not, just like tell us, tell us what's going on. And so I called called my grandparents and you know because I lived in Wendell they lived across the street and they came over and I sat down my mom my dad my grandma my grandpa my little brother and I was like you know I basically you know I you guys have loved and supported me and I've been able to go out into the world and, and have this life because you guys have been there to love and support me and I hope that after what I have to tell you that you'll continue to be there for me and uh, I have to tell you that I'm gay. And my grandma ran over and she gave me a hug and she said, it's okay, we still love you. Mm-hmm. And then I said, and, um, and I have HIV. And uh, my dad said, well, happy fucking Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he left and my mom cried like I've, never heard her cry before and my grand my grandfather what did he I can't remember what he said but um to say the least it was uh a lot for everyone to kind of just take in and I was still kind of trying to figure it out too mm-hmm. so I actually left the house for a little while after telling them so that they could all kind of like I don't know talk amongst themselves or whatever um and then I came home and went to bed and the next morning I got up and my mom, like the first thing we like sat at the kitchen table and she asked me what song I wanted to hear at my funeral. Oh, and yeah. And I was just kind of like, damn, <laughs> but it was also like probably one of the best things that my mom could have said to me because in that moment she told me that she loved me and that she was going to be there for me no matter what happened to me. She was going to be there for me when I got sick, and she was going to be there for me when I died, and she was going to be there for me even after I died to, like, make sure that everything was going to be okay in the way that I wanted it to be for me. And, um, yeah, and then that's when I, I went back to Arizona, and I learned what it meant to have HIV, and I started using drugs to kind of deal with that reality. My my pulse was racing, like I could feel it, just listening to you describe that. And so I just can't imagine, imagine the amount of nerves. I mean, it must have just been... And well, it, go ahead. It was a really, like, like you know, it's so dramatic and so kind of traumatic. And, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that time, like, 
if I would have known more about HIV, I wouldn't have felt like I had to run and tell them right then, you know, like mm-hmm. I maybe could have spent some time to like figure it out, you know, or I don't know, like there was just so much that was, that happened the way that it happened because we didn't know any different. And that was a v- really why, why I wanted to start Alpha was because, um, because I didn't want families to have to go through that unnecessary trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you end up back in Arizona and you start hitting the drugs yeah. hard or dabbling? Or? Um, I started just like, you know, they told me I had six months before I needed to get on treatment. And they told me to take that six months to kind of like get my head together or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I had to cancel. I was actually getting ready to move out to L.A. to sign with an acting and modeling company to pursue an acting and modeling career. And I had to let that go. And um, I, you know, my dad, my dad did drugs when I was young. And I, know, I knew that my dad had a very difficult life that kind of led up to a lot of that use and I just never felt like I had a good reason you know my family there might have been certain things that I wish they could have provided for me but they couldn't but they still did a pretty good pretty good damn job you know and I never really felt like I needed to use substances and I had finally like come to a point where I I knew that I needed to use substances in order to kind of soften the blow of life mm-hmm. and so you know I did it. it you know it gave me life um in a time that I couldn't get it for myself and I didn't have God anymore so right. uh, so you know it, it really saved my life in the beginning drugs actually saved your life in the beginning definitely it allowed me to like even have life you know like mm-hmm. to go through that diagnosis and then to start treatment and then to be dealing with all that kind of stuff on my own and dealing with all the disappointment and the loss, like it was huge, huge blow. And I could not, I could not have taken all of the pain at once mm-hmm. of that. And I needed to have something again, just to kind of like soften the blow a little bit so that I could still get up and go to work and um, take my medication and mm-hmm. still try to be um hopefully worth a shit before i died that's just um, that's a perspective you don't hear very often unless you're listening to like bill hicks or somebody uh, <laughs> that drugs actually so you don't look back do we look back with any regret on that time or did it did it get to a point yeah. where they served their purpose but then it went overboard yeah you know it just got to a point where it just um you know i had times when i was messy and actually when I quit, it was the least, like I wasn't even using as much as I had once been using. Um, you know, I had, um, I, in the beginning, it was like ecstasy and party drugs. And mm-hmm. I loved my ecstasy and going out to the clubs in Phoenix and like doing that whole scene. And, you know, eventually, um, like long story, but eventually I ended up having to go back to, to Wendell to start treatment the second round because the first round um, I didn't respond well to and I was very, very sick. And so I had to go home and let my family kind of take care of me um, so that I could start treatment again. 
but then I ended up moving back out to Arizona again when I was 22, and then I got uh, I got gang raped, and um, I then turned to meth uh, to deal with that. So for me, a lot of substance use has been about um, it's been I guess more of a medicine, if you will, or something to I don't know. Um, that's just what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually I was able to start Alpha a couple of years later, you know, I ended up back in Idaho and I started Alpha and I wasn't using, you know, I wasn't using drugs at that time. I was just drinking because mm-hmm. it was socially acceptable. Um, and so, um, drinking just, and again, it wasn't like I was a daily drinker. I just got kind of messy at times Yeah. and it got to the point where I was like running a nonprofit organization. I kind of started to feel like the things that were going on in my life were, were so much bigger than me. Um, and I just was blown away and I really didn't want to fuck it up. And I just had moments where I would drink and I would do shit that was contrary to the person that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but it was mother's day actually. Like I, um, had my last drunk the night before and I got sober on mother's day. And, um, I, I, somebody just said, do you think drinking is causing you to like be an asshole and do these things? <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's why I'm an asshole. Like mm-hmm. I'll just not, I'll just not drink. Um, yeah. and, and then, um, when I actually went to stop drinking, that's when I realized that how much drinking and drugging had been such a part of my life in yeah, like how just how woven it still was mm-hmm. and didn't start to create a life. Because I was afraid that if I continued that I would fuck up Alpha and I would fuck up the work that was beyond me. Mm-hmm. And uh, for whatever reason, I was able to just kind of like then get into a support community and start abstaining from substances. And yeah. now it's on, on May 10th, it'll be 12 years. Wow. Since had any sort of substance it was like the hardest thing i have ever done uh but it's like one of the i think it's probably one of the proudest things yeah i would it's one of the best things i've ever done for myself um was to get sober and begin to like see the truth of who i was and what I'd done and, and, and the truth, not just in negative shit, but actually in some good stuff too. Um, and, uh, I was actually at a place in which I could handle the truth. You know, I finally got to a place where I could deal with the pain of, of having HIV and AIDS and like just all the shit that happened after that. And along with that, I was finally, I think at a place where I could start to feel some hurt mm-hmm. and not, and not drink Alpha was so cool, and um, I remember many, not many times, but a few times, uh, you know, a, a bunch of uh, Alpha volunteers ending up at the 44 Club and singing karaoke, and I don't think I was drinking at the time, but it was it was always fun, and everybody was just yeah. super friendly, and, and I know there was another time we were at 
uh, balcony for like a drag competition. It was like a, huh. it was a drag karaoke competition. And so I got up and sang The Lion Sleeps Tonight and got uh-huh. I got a huge reaction out of it and I won a gift <laughs> card to Pleasure Boutique, I think. Oh, fantastic. Um, but I just remember how fun it was and how just how chill everybody was and you know and and if you uh you know if you're one of these kind of people that has a irrational you know hatred or fear or whatever you want to call it of, of gay people or trans people it's like you really should come hang out sometime because they're fun as hell they're super fun yeah. i mean straight people aren't straight people aren't having their own parades you know like um but I I, yeah. I had a blast uh, hanging with with everybody and um, oh another one I just remembered was we were up at some house in the foothills and we were trying to sort all these shoes. Cause yeah, that was at mine and my husband's house, my ex husband's house. We were sorting shoes for like uh the, to put on the Capitol steps. We yeah. Got like a dump a dumpster of shoes dropped mm-hmm. off in the parking lot. Yeah, I remember that, and I was up there digging through these nasty shoes, trying to find, <laughs> trying to find pairs, you know. And I was going, "What, what the hell does this have to do with?" <laughs> I mean, it, but again, it was fun. It was fun because of the people that were there. It didn't. But then we had, didn't we have like, I don't. We had like a thousand or so. It was hundreds at least of pairs of shoes that we put on the Capitol steps, right? Like to represent, like the number of people with HIV or the number of people who have died, or it was something like that. But it was it was powerful visual. Totally, yeah. Because yeah. it covered those steps. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you started Alpha, what was what was your intent? What did you want Alpha to to be? Well, I think for me, I just wanted like you know, I there wasn't anything for me. Like in some ways, I needed I wanted to create an organization in which I like that I thought would have been good for me to have and my family to have when I first found out. But I, there was also even an element of, like, I think of even what I needed then. Um, I, um, you know, I started talking with people in schools. I went to CUNA High School when I was, like, 22 or 23, I think. I spoke at, I got invited to go speak at their school and talk about, you know, having HIV. And and I went and, and I did that, and then I started doing that. Like, a lot of, like, I kept getting invited health teachers told other health teachers and actually it was really it was really great and it was actually it was really healing for me and really transformative um and like through that process I just wanted I just realized that there was so much more that could be done and and there was no way for me to do it um to do more of it you know um and so Mm -hmm. I created an organization which we could do more to educate the community um about HIV and AIDS and you know eventually we started testing and providing supportive services and food banks and we had a secondhand store for a little while and mm-hmm. like all kinds of just really cool stuff but that wasn't that wasn't my plan in the beginning you know all that sort of stuff just kind of like grew as we moved along um, mm-hmm. in the beginning it was really just about trying to create a space in which people could hopefully heal and or like prevent uh, harm um, and how HIV can impact an individual and, and their loved ones. So in, in a, a small amount. Um, 
So in a city like Boise, which is, you know, probably the most liberal of any city in Idaho, and even then I would say it's only pockets of Boise are sort of liberal. Right. Was there any kind of pushback from, uh, I don't know, what, what oh, kind yeah. of problems did you encounter trying to get it off the ground? Oh, yeah. I mean, there were people who didn't want to rent to us. There were, um, you know, people that, um, you know, like, because we weren't in, so we weren't a gay organization because we, um, we we really wanted people to understand that HIV was was a virus, not just that just impacted gay people. Um, we happen to be all, most of us happen to be gay in the beginning, um, but that was just kind of a, that's just kind of how it worked. And so I think a lot of what we tried to do in the beginning was not to be seen as like the gay organization, but as an HIV service organization in which, you know, like gay and queer, injection drug users, junkies, I say that with love when I say junkie, um, uh, that like, um, you know, we were just kind of that mix of people and we were more focused around HIV and HIV prevention rather than kind of like, you know, gay rights or gay whatever. Um, even though that's kind of a byproduct of a lot of what kind of happened, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've got, uh, I, I loved my time in Boise, but I, I definitely, uh, it's definitely kind of old school, even oh, now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there but are yeah. some brilliant people, really nice people in Boise, and that's... Um, oh, I love it. I cherish I mean, I, it was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life. It was really, um, you know, I, I eventually had to leave because, you know, I just didn't know who I was outside of um, outside of what I did, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and I had a really hard time just being Dwayne. Like I was always like alpha. I was always right. the HIV advocate or I, you know what I mean? It was like, totally. it was, I had a, I started to have a really toxic relationship with, um, with the title and the role and like just feeling like I needed something more and different for myself. Um, and so I ended up moving out to Chicago and when I moved to Chicago at first, I was like, I'm just going to be an ordinary dude. Like, I'm not going to like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to like work in HIV and AIDS. I'm like, it's like, I'm just going to be one, uh, for a while. And then that didn't last very long. <laughs> yeah. I waited tables for like a month and I was like, I can't, I cannot have nightmares about forgetting to give somebody their shake. Like I need to yeah. go. <laughs> Like I have skills, uh, I I should go like use them, and so that's I ended up doing that in Chicago, and it was good for me because I realized that, um, like I did really well um, in Chicago. I worked for a couple of organizations and got to create some really cool programs um, for people that were just very different than myself. You know, I grew up in Idaho; it's very white. Um, and so it was cool to go out to a city and like just be around people of different backgrounds, black, brown, white, trans, whatever, you know, like just a mix of different people and um, to kind of go out there and still be relevant and to still be able to like translate my skills um, in a large city was kind of in some ways validating because I felt like maybe I was just kind of cool because I was in Idaho. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or like 
I was maybe only just kind of good at what I did because I was an idol. Right. And that just wasn't true. Like, I just happened to be good at what I did. And I got better as I went. And I needed to, in order to really grow more, I needed to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a really cool experience. And then ending up in San Francisco, too, I think was just another um, element of, of growing. So is Alpha still up and running? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, right now they're closed because of COVID. Oh, but, um, no. sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, they're they, they're still running, and they um, provide you know STD screenings. They do treatment. They give. They do prep. Um, they do. There's definitely you know HIV has become a lot more medicalized, medicalized, and so it's definitely become a little bit more medical medicalized. Mm-hmm. But um, it's still you know it still you know kind of has that that homey feel to it, I guess. That's cool. Um, and, um, would you ever start something like that up again? Um, I've really been, actually, I'm kind of at that point in my life right now where I've been really trying to figure that out. There was, oh my God, it was such a great experience, but it was also, you know, like, there were also, you know, just there was part of the experience about afterwards, but I've been able to kind of reflect on it. There were so many blind spots that I had um, where I feel like, you know, people were harmed, not intentionally, but because I wasn't aware enough or I wasn't willing to step up in a certain way or, you know what I mean? It was like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I just feel like there was a part where I'm realizing that, like, where my mistakes were, I guess. And I want to just make, I've just been concerned about, have I become better to where that's not going to happen? Well, um, you were in your 20s, right? Oh, when, I know. I was a child. Yeah, <laughs> I just totally. Forget, I forget about that sometimes, too. Like, I got to cut myself slack. And, and I don't think I hold it against myself. I just want it. I want to be able to step forward into the world and, and try to cause as little harm as possible. Um, and so, and, it, and it's a lot of work, it's a lot of energy, but yeah, I'm actually um, going to be um, exiting my current employment. I'm planning on exiting it and then going into creating a, like kind of becoming self-employed mm-hmm. and doing more consultant kind of work. Um, yeah, so... Um, that's what I feel like I'm going to probably end up doing it. But I've had some hesitance on creating a new organization. I've created lots of programs and programming and projects and things like that at different organizations um, in Chicago and in San Francisco. Um, but um, I haven't necessarily like created like a, a nonprofit organization. But I am thinking of starting a small business to do queer spiritual work. Um, and then just to offer um, support in just my expertise uh, with folks that might be, um, you know, um, having challenges in their organization or or maybe they want me to come speak about either HIV or addiction or spirituality or all of those um, with different groups like the college. Like I'm working right now on a spirituality and social work presentation for the University of Chicago. Um, that's just kind of like a, a video that they're going to use as part of the class. 
Um, so that's the sort of stuff that I'm really kind of interested in doing. You know, I've always kind of found myself in the tween of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, that, um, cause I'm not like, I didn't go to, I didn't go back to college. I don't have any degrees. Um, you know, I'm, I'm super brilliant person. And, and I say that with humility as in, mm-hmm. and the reason why I have to say that is because for so long, I've really, um, walked around with my head low because I don't have the, that credentialing. Um, you know, I've felt inadequate in a lot of spaces because I didn't have, um, those letters behind my name or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying, I know that I'm a, I'm a smart, like capable person with, even without those. But I think because I don't have those sorts of credentialing that allows me to be in this middle space. And so like my current job right now, I work with the UCSF, um, and I work in research, um, which is even crazy, but I work in anal cancer research, um, and I work with elder, elderly, gay, and trans folks, um, and uh, basically work to get them into, so we can prevent um, anal cancer that's caused by the human papillomavirus. And so my job is to reach out to community, educate them, connect with them, and then be able to get them into clinics and into the studies so they can um, access the services that could benefit them and hopefully keep them from, you know, having to deal with anal cancer at some point in their life. Um, so that's the kind of like in-between space mm-hmm. um, that I, I can be in because I don't have, like, because I don't have that credentialing, but then I also have that experience. You know what I mean? It doesn't right. take me away from doesn't take me away from the community um yeah i don't know that's that sounds really uh important like really important stuff that you're doing um okay so Dwayne, we're gonna take a quick break and then i want to switch gears and talk a little bit about um bonnie violet all right okay okay we'll be right back Okay, we're back with uh back with Dwayne and um so you're living in San Francisco now, right? I yep, I've been here about three years now. And did you go straight there from Chicago? I did, yep. I uh I moved here by Amtrak. Um I uh <laughs> I uh when I moved to to Chicago I I sold and got rid of everything but one bag. And so when I left Chicago, I did the same thing, except for I left with two bags. Um, but I took the Amtrak. It was like 51 hours mm-hmm. and moved to San Francisco. I had a, a air mattress in a bay window uh, that I was renting for $75 a week. For I had four weeks um, that I could rent it for. And then by that time, I needed to have a different place to live and hopefully a job or something. <laughs> you had a mattress in a window? Yes, an air mattress in a window. And that was... That was yep, <laughs> wow. 75 bucks a week. <laughs> wow. And so you had four weeks to get, get yourself situated in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I, I just basically, you know, like, I was like, I knew Chicago was like, I knew I was done with Chicago. I kind of wanted to be back on the west side of the country a little closer to Idaho, but I didn't want to go to Idaho. So I was like, it was like San Francisco or Portland. And I was like, 
San Francisco was number one, I was like, why not go for your number one? Mm-hmm. And if, if it doesn't work out there, because this is like the most expensive city like to live in right. uh, in the United States, and like, um, so I was like, I'll, cause I'll just come out here, and if the universe wants me to be here, things will line up, and I'll be here, and if they don't, then I'll end up in Portland. And mm-hmm. uh, the universe, I guess, wants me here. <laughs> yeah, that's so. a pretty impressive feat, I would think, to find a place in four weeks in San Francisco. I got really lucky. Yeah, I've been in this. I've been renting this room uh, for three years now. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been pretty easy and fairly inexpensive. It's in a good part of town. I got really, really, really lucky. Um, but yeah, that's killer. So, um, what is your, uh, Instagram name? Oh, so I have Sparkle is as Sparkle does. Mm -hmm. Um, that's my Instagram. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm assuming you might be going to kind of like, yeah, well, what uh, I was, what I was driving at is every once in a while I will see a. A beautiful woman with uh, in a in a wedding gown or something like that, but with the full blown beard and uh, and it's it, it'll stop you in your tracks if you're just scrolling really? along and and uh, so and so that is Bonnie Violet, right? Yeah, yeah. Bonnie Violet is my uh, drag my drag name. Um, it was created. Uh, gram- my I have a grandma Bonnie and I have a grandma Violet, and so Bonnie Violet is my drag. name. Um, and yeah, so, um, yeah, I started doing that when I moved to San Francisco. Um, I started doing that a few months afterwards to raise money for uh charity for like a, for the sober community. So they have like a sober drag show every month. And so I got invited to participate in that. Actually, I participated in that. It's something I've been wanting to do for a long time, but, um, I was really, um, nervous and I wanted to make sure I looked right and had it all together but I didn't really do anything to try to get it together and then I had a friend of mine who had um passed from suicide and um I was just like fuck it like just do it like doesn't Mm -hmm. I don't know for whatever reason he was also a drag queen beautiful drag queen and I just was like you know what like just do it and I just felt inspired to do it so I like called them up and said, Hey, can I be in the show? And they're like, yeah. And it was like in two weeks and I, I did a Kesha song and, Mm -hmm. um, I've loved it. It, It's been an interesting thing for me because one of the things that I had a really hard time doing drag in the beginning because, because of my own gender. So Mm -hmm. like I've been like, I am transgender and I've been trying to understand what that means because and drag was really hard for me I think in the beginning is because it was starting to like it was really personal like a lot of people talk about they do drag and it's like this character it's this like Mm -hmm. thing that they put on and for me it was I think I was starting to reveal parts of myself Mm -hmm. that I that I had always wanted to do um and so it was a very like vulnerable difficult hard thing for me um and I just kept doing it and um uh, and then I started to kind of understand my gender a little bit more. And I 
don't know like where it'll end up <laughs> mm-hmm. as far as like aesthetically but I kind of am in this like space of like like you said you know like I'm a, like I was a bearded you said but you also said I was like a, a beautiful like bearded woman you know like yeah. and that that I think was like interesting to me is that like I did feel really pretty mm-hmm. even though I was bearded <laughs> um and like it just felt pretty i think a lot of times bearded queens are more campy but yeah. for me i just felt i felt really like i'd never felt more like beautiful um and um and uh, yeah and i just really liked the way that i looked and the way that i felt and um so i started and i got to where like i didn't want to get out of the clothes and i wanted mm-hmm. to i don't know like and i'd already been like i've been using she her pronouns like since like while I was in Chicago I started using she her pronouns and mm-hmm. started being more like I wanted to be like if you really like to me like so my gender has been kind of a spiritual experience for me I feel like the more that I've do- dove into myself and connected with myself and my spirit the more femme and the more queer I become on the outside I feel like I'm actually starting to look more like the person that I am, like my spirit is, mm-hmm. and um, and so, if you were to refer to me as she, which most of the people in my life who were close to me did, it was because you saw me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you saw me, even if I had a beard and I looked like a dude or whatever. You call me she, then you see me, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so that kind of has then evolved into because I used to be like when I was younger, I used to tell people don't call me she, I'm a he, I'm a dude who likes dudes. Like, don't, don't, like, don't, don't mix that up or whatever. But that was like my own internalized bullshit. Um, And so like, I've just been really trying to embrace and understand like who I am and be and do what I want when I want without worrying about my dad yelling at me, you know, or the world yelling at me or Mm -hmm. even me yelling at me about, why do you want to wear that? Like, what is, what is that about? Like, but then if I don't do it, then I feel like I'm betraying myself in some way. And so the last um, couple of years, I've really been exploring and trying to understand um, that aspect of myself. And I'm kind of at a point where I'm comfortable with not really identifying as any sort of gender. Mm -hmm. Like, um, so transgender is actually more of an umbrella term. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of folks think that trans is about male to female or female to male, but transgender is, is all of that. It's non-binary. It's like just basically, I kind of feel like I'm more like a third gender. Like I'm both. Like mm-hmm. I feel like I'm not a man, but I'm not not a man. And I'm not a woman, but I'm not not a woman. And uh, I just, you know, I have both parts of myself and I just try to express that in the ways that I can and uh, I recently cut my beard off which has been really weird but Mm -hmm. I felt really attached to it like I felt like maybe it was like a part of my masculinity that I was holding on to which is really interesting because I thought it was pretty and femme Mm -hmm. and actually I felt like I look less femme without a beard now than I did with the beard Um, wow that's interesting it's really interesting And, and I've had people even like like, I had a girl at work, she, like, freaked out. She's like, what are you doing? Why is she... I was like, um, 
I don't know. I just felt like I wanted to get rid of it. She's like, mm-hmm. oh my God, you look ugly. Like what, why did you do that? <laughs> and I was like, well, I just, and she's like, now you just look like a dude and I, or like a regular guy or something like yeah. that. And it, but I think that was her way of saying like, this isn't, this isn't you. Mm-hmm. Um, or the way that I know you. And so I think I'm still trying to figure out how to let the, let that out because um, it's not, it's a really hard, I wish it wasn't so hard, mm-hmm. but it is. Like, I haven't talked with my family really that much in like over a year or so because I don't feel like they, they never could hold this part of me. You know, they never could yeah. be okay with that. I never felt like they, they could really be okay with that feminine sissy mm-hmm. like kid and um I still am struggling to like let them into that part of me. Um and then, you know, like the world, even though I'm in San Francisco, you know, like I've never been called a faggot more in my life than in San Francisco. But I've also never been like praised and hooted and hollered and like encouraged just walking down the street heels mm-hmm. and a pencil skirt and a beard you know like yeah. so it's like this mixed bag and then depending upon what part of town you're in or what time of the ta- time of the day or like I work in a hospital now like I interviewed for my job in like a heels and a pencil skirt and a blouse and I got the job and then I've never wore that again because I work in a very, like, I work in a hospital and I work, like, work with so many people that are not like me. So I get mm-hmm. freaked out. So that's something I've really been trying to to, to figure out. Um, and a lot of the spiritual work is what I'm drawn to do. So that's where I can show up more like myself. And I think I'm typically a little bit more in the between of both male and female kind of at the same time. Mm-hmm. And like you said it just kind of fit it just suits i think when i'm when i'm really being myself it just fits and i think people see it too it's like i wouldn't expect that to look so cohesive or yeah beautiful or whatever but it does no like, it's an amazing look i i've i've went through those pictures you know when i see them and i'm always uh they're you just don't see a look like that. So I think there's, you know, the kind of a curiosity about it, but it does aesthetically. It's like, that looks right though. Like that it's, you're not staring at it. Like it's some sort of anomaly. It just looks, looks amazing and has a very, uh, there's a sexual, uh, vibe to it but it's also there's almost a wholesome vibe i don't know there's there's a lot going yeah. on but um so so i i guess some drag queens or maybe most i'm not sh- you know they have a like a persona they slip into and you're yeah, saying you're of, saying bonnie violet is not that well bonnie violet has become now uh like a performance you know, I mean, I don't know. Like, right now, Bonnie Violet is, like, the person that I am on stage. Mm-hmm. Whenever I do, like, a performance in drag or whatever, Bonnie Violet is what I go by. Um, so, but I still feel like she's just kind of an extension. Mm-hmm. An extension of me. But because I do kind of think of her as this performance element of me, I definitely am a lot more comfortable. Like, I don't care. Like, it's not, I'm not... I'm 
not, I don't really like get too nervous. I get nervous in the way that anybody would get nervous in front of a crowd, mm-hmm. but I don't get nervous about showing who I am um, in these kind of spaces anymore, which is really kind of cool. But that, that's because I kept showing up yeah. as, as who I am and people still loved me. And that's really kind of been like my whole life is, is kind of getting to the space of being able to like, and learning that whenever I like share this part of myself, like people will still love me. Um, and I feel like that's the, the thing that I'm afraid of is that I don't, not necessarily even like love, but I don't know. I don't know what it mm-hmm. is. Um, but I've got to a point in my life where I can't not, not, um, express who I am. Like my goal is to express all of who I am, wherever I am. Mm-hmm. And if I choose not to, it's my choice. Um, it's not because like I have to, because it's not allowed or it's not okay. And so mm-hmm. I don't go to, I don't go to spiritual places that wouldn't be okay with that. I don't go to, I don't take jobs that wouldn't be okay with that. I yeah. don't live with people who wouldn't be okay with that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I just have to do that um, in order to kind of protect myself. So is there, um, is there some place you would like to see her go? I mean, as maybe as a performance artist, it, or is it just going to be, you know, something you continue to do just to stay true to yourself and express you know, it's, it's, it's a really hard thing. You know, there's so much things that I'm like unpacking to kind of get to that spot. Cause there's elements of times when I get to like, girl, why don't you just like, you know, like get boobs, get a vagina, like be a girl. Like it would just be so much easier. Just, just be a girl. Right. Um, and there are times and, and sometimes that seems like, okay. And that might be where I'm going, but I'm not quite there yet. And other times I'm like, you know, you know what? You're just like a sissy, like feminine boy, like whatever. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's, but I don't know. It's just, it's been a really kind of interesting experience for me because there's also like the sexuality aspect of it as well too, which I'm, I'm happy to hear that you saw that in Bonnie. Like you mm-hmm. saw Bonnie as sexual because a lot of times people think they like, oh, that's cute. I love that or whatever, but they don't want to fuck it. And, <laughs> and like, <laughs> And you're like, I still want to be, I still want to be fucked, you know, like I still Mm want to have a sexual relationship and I don't want to feel like a lot of times I feel like I have to remove those parts from me Mm -hmm. in order to be sexually attracted, like sexually desired. Um, And that's something that I'm coming to understand is that people are going to be sexually desired. Mm -hmm. Um, Like they, I do have that part and I don't have to don't have to like hide or remove or take away those parts of myself um i that's where i'm trying to get (laughs) if i'm Mm -hmm. honest usually i'll like mask it up to go you know hook up with somebody but yeah um but i've also found people that love that femininity of me and in, in uh in all in all the ways so um that's just where i'm trying to get to with it all, um, for, for, for me really. Yeah. So somebody yeah. has to be, uh, down to date Bonnie as well, huh? Right. That's a part of me. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. I mean, and I still like, I wear heels every day. Like that's my, 
whether I'm like, no matter what I'm wearing, I'm usually in a pair of heels. Not always like stilettos or something, but at least like some boots. It's always, they all have a heel on it. Yeah. I have long earrings and my rhinestones glued to my face. Um, just because it's Monday. Like, um, <laughs> Bonnie Violet. And Bonnie Violet is definitely like, kind of like the extreme of all that. But, um, but parts of her are already on me and in me all the time. But there's three threes in her name. Um, all the E's, all the E's are threes, and three, three, three is grace, which is a spiritual concept for me, and it's kind of like my higher power concept in the sense that I try to live my life with grace, and grace is something that I have a really hard time achieving because grace is is this idea that you are valuable and you have worth just because you do and you because you are not because of something that you did to earn it right mm-hmm. and my whole life I've worked so hard to earn whatever it is in my life and I felt like I feel like that's come from a place of me thinking I'm not good enough and that somehow I need to like I don't know so for me to just be like really truly um believe that I'm enough and I'm of worth and of value just as much as everyone else, um, regardless of what I do or don't do. Um, I, in my heart of hearts, I believe that, like, I believe in that truth, but I have a really hard time, like, really connecting with it and going out in the world really knowing that about myself, believing that about myself. But I still try, and that's why it's, like, a higher power. Right kind of thing because it's like something I can't quite achieve but I'm going to to work on it so um, are you an actual chaplain or is queer chaplain is that something yeah so um, I do uh, I call it a queer chaplain to the sense because I'm queer but also because it's kind of a chaplain of another sort so chaplains typically work with people around death and dying so they're like in hospitals or the military, things like that. Um, and you're kind of a spiritual person who shows up to, as kind of an unbiased, just to be present with people during during death and dying situation. And so I believe that death and dying happen uh, all the time and often and specifically around identities. So I feel called to be with people around death and dying to themselves parts of themselves, whether it's their addictive part, their gender, their sexual orientation, um, basically, um, you know, the same things that I've struggled with, um, dying to my identities, um, and kind of like helping people through that process. Because I think ultimately, like I said, like, I, I'm getting to a point in my life where like, I'm just like, I'm just me. Like, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just me. Um, and I'm really just trying to like, let go of those identities. And it's a huge loss. And those identities are what protected me. They are what helped me connect with people and do different things and grow in certain ways. And so, but I do believe in order to be fully integrated, I need to be able to kind of let go of those identities. Um, and so I want to help people 
go through that process. Um, so some of that's like one-on-one conversations. Sometimes I'll, I'll run groups where I'll have a group of people come in for a regular basis and we'll talk about HIV and spirituality or substance use and spirituality or gender and, you know, and we'll basically kind of basically invite spirit, your spirit. I, I believe spirituality is anything that lifts you, that elevates you. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that was ecstasy for a while. That was dancing at the club. That was, you know, now it's for me, it's about being able to like, uh, express myself more fully like that lifts me that elevates me and so helping people connect with their spirit because I feel like the spirit once you lift it up then that that animates your body um, and um, I just want to help people lift themselves in a way in which I don't know they can animate their body in a way that yeah. that uh, brings joy and pleasure and all that sort of stuff and so um I think when we're full of shame and we're full of doubt and we're full of hurt and we're full of pain, it's hard to, to you know, to be lifted. And so um, I just feel like that's what I'm called to do. And it's so crazy because that's like, I thought I was going to do that for Jesus, you know, when I was little. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now I realize now that like, you know, I thought I was fuck up and like, uh, I could never matter or do anything like that God wanted me to do. And like, that's all a lie. And if I look back, I can see like my whole life up to this point has been all about being of service to my community and mm-hmm. helping elevate people out of challenging and difficult times. And you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's even the same shit that my parents taught me. We were always poor, but we always like at holidays. We, we like grabbed up our best toys or we went shopping and we gave, we gave it to families who were in worse spots than us, you know, mm-hmm. like, that was just how I was raised by my family. That's the God that I came to understand. And that's what I believe spirituality is for me today. You know, it's like, I, I'm blessed in so many ways and because I've gotten through these things and there are other people that could benefit from being helped through that as well. Um, there were people there for me in some ways and in other ways, not. And so I'm hoping that I can show up in those ways that, um, Identity is such a complicated, uh, you know yeah. what I mean? Because, you know, everything is wrapped up in it. And, and this is what I found. Like, I just turned 40 this year, and I really oh. enjoyed my 30s because my 30s is when I realized a lot of the stuff in my 20s was kind of bullshit. And it was oh. like, um, especially, you know, like my story being native, but not really growing up around natives. So I was always trying to sort of be what I thought natives were supposed to be. And, you know, I got it in my head that natives were these whiskey drinking, rowdy, you know. And so that's right. what I spent my 20s doing. And I was like, I'm just this crazy drunk Indian. And then it's like, nah, dude, you're just a drunk. That's uh-huh. really what you are. And so to get to my 30s and start to realize and strip away some of this other, um, and re- you know, it's like at a piece yeah. of clay, you know, just kind of getting the gunk off of the clay to get down to the sculpture. And, uh, but, um, so I think, um, kind of with, I'm sure it's the same with, you know, queer trans people is a lot of trying to figure out 
that identity and and what's real and what's not yeah i think it's i think it's our human experience like even just hearing you talk about like your kind of relationship with identities you know they serve us well until they don't mm-hmm. and then and then we realize that we're we're different than that or that we're more than that probably say we're more than that or we're that and um mm-hmm. and uh so yeah i mean i just feel like i i mean i don't sometimes i feel like i'm totally unique don't get me wrong but i feel like that's just what we do in life is that we at least the way that the way that we live you know how people exist today at least you know we're categorized and we have these identities and because we have these identities that that makes choices for us that tells us who we date that tells us when we have sex that tells us where we live it tells us what jobs we do it tells us what behaviors we do or we don't do you know those like you know like because i choose to be a gay man then all of a sudden there was all these things just like when you said you connected with your native parts and it meant all of these things and Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's just so, so limiting. Like I don't identify as a, like, I don't identify as a gay man because I'm not a man anymore, but I also like, I'm open to like, I'm more pansexual or bisexual. I'm open to being sexual with anyone who is consent, who wants to yeah. be sexual with me. And I want to be sexual with them. Um, it doesn't necessarily matter how they identify so much anymore. Um, which is so crazy for me to be able to say that at my age because there was so much of time that I needed to scream that I was gay, even if I was open to something different because like, I had to proclaim that for you, right? Mm-hmm. So that you knew where I lit, where I stood and you, you know what I mean? I don't know, right. it's just this, like, this sort of thing, at least from my experience. I think there are people that are gay, gay and straight, straight and you mm-hmm. know all that sort of stuff. That's none of my business. All I know is like for me, um, I feel like this kind of where I've always been and I've just, it's just taken me a while to really be mm-hmm. honest with myself. Um, and yeah. Well, and it was also for me in my thirties where a spirituality started to develop where, um, I had, I kind of had to believe in a higher power. Otherwise I didn't know if I was going to survive especially you know when my son died and I was drinking a lot and I did well first of all most of that time I didn't really want to survive but when I got to the point where I did it kind of became well I I need something else like what's here is not gonna get it done and I just started I guess kind of started meditating and really just kind of putting out my thoughts and feelings just out into the universe kind of talking to nobody in particular to the point where when I started seeing results I had to go man I need to do this every day because it's like you know something's happening here and uh and now it's like if I lay in bed and I haven't had a conversation with God or whoever I have to actually get up and do it because I'll just lay there you know um but it took it I it took me kind of realizing that I needed I needed it and um and I'm not a yeah. churchy guy and I'm I'm not anti churchy people or anything like that it's just my own little thing it's like a uh it's it just it is what I needed it to be at the time and still do right um, yeah I totally hear that well what do you, what's uh what do you think's 
uh, coming up for you? I mean, what's what is your future hold if you're if you're heading back to school? Or are you uh, what What do you think is going to happen in the next five ten years for you? Yeah, you know, um, I I really want to I really want to be really intentional and do like work work with people's spirit and spiritual health for people um, in whatever way that is for people. But I really want to invite the idea of like spiritual health or the spirit is being part of like kind of holistic health care even. Um, I'm really wanting to um, be set up as like a chaplain at a, like a sexual health clinic and like be available that if people wanted to talk, like basically have like a screener, you know, how you screen to see if somebody's depressed or mm-hmm. if they're having housing problems or they're having like domestic violence, problems, whatever sorts of situations, they kind of ask these questions and go in and see a doctor or other kind of professionals. And then if, you know, certain things are clicked, then you're like, oh, well, you might want to talk to so-and-so or you might want to do this. And so what I'd like to do is actually be able to do that um, around sexuality and sexual health. And so, because I know that my experience with my spirit and my spirituality led to a lot of, like, um, sexual behaviors and activities that um, caused harm to myself, led to infections, led to not dealing with infections in the time matter, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of that had to do with shame, uh, shame about having something, shame about my behavior, shame about being gay, whatever, because I had the religious trauma. Um, so I think being able to talk with people who are kind of open to this idea of uh, connecting with their spirit around sexual health or other sorts of things, and then kind of helping people connect with either a mentor or communities of faith or have groups where people can come and kind of talk about how spirituality is related to their sexual health. It's really kind of about inviting God into your sex, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, and and being really intentional about it. So I'd love to really kind of explore it and understand that, because part of that is I want to understand it for myself. I've evolved in some ways, but I feel like there's still so much more that I can evolve and come to understand by talking with other people about their experience as well. And so, um, and I think it's, I don't think that everyone can do this, because for so long, like, I had sexual health clinics, and I did those things, and if somebody, like, said, I want to come set up and, like, be a chaplain and, like, talk about spiritual shit with your clients, I would have been, like, fuck off. <laughs> like, yeah. go somewhere else. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, but that's because I didn't see them as, as one of me, right? Like, yeah. I feel like the fact of how I show up and how I am, that people would feel like, okay, you're one of me. Yeah. You might even be a little, like freakier than me Um, (laughs) and uh, and you're talking about the spirituality so I think for me it's about kind of finding a way to be really intentional about spiritual work with uh with queer folks and to hopefully not only like for the individuals but also for like the world to see queer people as spiritual Mm -hmm. beings I've been doing dragon spirituality workshops. I actually did a church service um, here that was centered around dragon spirituality, um, and I'm working on doing another another um, another one in a set of series too. So I have some videos online uh, from the interviews and stuff. But 
really just kind of like, I mean, I feel like drag queens have always been kind of spiritual leaders for the gay community. Mm-hmm. Most of them probably wouldn't say that, but they've, you know, they've lifted our community. They've led our community. They've been the, the, the visible people. They've raised money. They take, they took care of us when we were dying for AIDS. They were, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they were kind of like our, our spiritual leaders. And so, um, I think it's helpful to kind of, again, lace our narrative with some sort of spiritual context. Um, I think it's helpful to build resilience um, and hope that when you can't see what's at play fully, that you can know that, like, the universe or God or whatever is still at play. Which would be, you know, because... With with certain sects of people, um, the idea of church or religion, you know, will give them a stink face, and they don't they'll think it's evil or this and that. And you know, there's certain sects of Christians or religious groups that would say the same thing about being gay. Um, so if you, I mean, if you could tie those things together, and yep. uh, have this overlap where there's an understanding um not just between the groups but you know within the groups themselves i think um i think well and to have such an aversion toward the other right that that says more about you than it does about it right so because because yeah so it's about helping people through that um so they can let go of it yeah like you shouldn't you shouldn't have such a strong feeling about any of that. Like you can be a Christian and like not be gay and not like think it's okay, but you don't have to have this like hatred toward it. Yeah. Just like you don't have to have a hatred toward a religion or whatever. I mean, there mm-hmm. are things that are done wrong and you know what I mean? But like, sure. I don't know. I just feel like if you have such a hate, that's usually, you know, that's coming from a place of pain. Yeah. And, we don't we don't um transform our pain we will transmit it and that'll come out either on ourselves or with the people around us and i feel like that's what our job is with each generation is to um heal a little bit of the pain and not transmit the same all of the same pain to the next generation you know my dad was hit he was physically hit. Mm-hmm. He never physically hit us. He maybe didn't show up in some other ways, but he never hit us. You know, that's what he could do. He mm-hmm. taught, us, taught, taught us kindness and generosity, you know, like that, you know, like he did his part and instilled that in me and my brother. And now we get to do our part to, to try to like change that experience for, you know, the next group of people generation yeah and i and it feels it it feels like we're trending that way you know and and, and it seems like the kids now uh are definitely more open and accepting than we the kids our age back in the day oh yeah um and they they just seem way way more um aware and in tune and they're still kids, but they 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 seem to have a much uh, uh, 
I, and I think it's because of the amount of information they're exposed to on any given day. I think it just gives yeah. them a better view of the world than we would have had. But they're not isolated in their experience. And that's a lot of what the problem is. Like, you're like, like for me, it's like, I didn't see or know anybody else like me. So it was super mm-hmm. isolating, you know. But once I could see that there were other people like me or who had these affinities or these things that I kind of was drawn to, then that kind of gave me permission to to like explore those things as well. And that's what I hope I do for other people too. I hope other people look at me and they then see that they can explore something within themselves that they couldn't before. And usually the people who really have a problem with like myself or other people is that they resent that they have a part of themselves that they told themselves that they couldn't do because of whatever reason, you know? Um, So I think that's also an important thing for people to exist more fully as well too because I think it I mean it's better for you but I think it also you know um, mm-hmm. challenges the people around you to be to be better um, well I think we should kind of wrap this up I've got I know, uh, I know. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> But I, there's still so much I could talk to you about. Do you think that uh, – do you ever look at um, HIV and you getting HIV? Is Do you ever look at that as almost a blessing given how yeah. your life turned out? Definitely, yeah. I mean I – you know, like I – oh my god, I'm so – I love – so much about me and HIV, you know, it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot and it created a lot of opportunity for me to, um, to just like, I mean, to just really be honest and be real. Um, same with like, I don't know. It's just like, I would never not be like, I, I really like genuinely am so happy to be who I am. It's like this queer person sexual like I don't know what like I wouldn't want to be anyone else like mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for, and I know that like I like everything had to happen for me to get here mm-hmm. um uh I don't know yeah I I you know I wouldn't I really wouldn't change a thing what would you say to to 20 year old Dwayne today the same thing that I could say to myself today (laughs) and it was probably the same thing that my mom told me when I was getting off of meth and I told her that I didn't want to be alive anymore and I would just say you're not you're not you're not dead (laughs) live your life Mm -hmm. like you're not dead yet like live your life live it don't be so hard on yourself that's a good one that's the one everybody can follow I'm sure meth or not don't be so hard on yourself myself included Um, alright well 
We went almost two hours. That's pretty amazing. Oh, wow. How yeah. did we do that? I guess it might have to be two, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll have to do some editing. <laughs> yeah. Um, it didn't seem like it. That was really, really fun. I had a good time. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for being on. And um, do you want to plug any uh, events or um, pages or... Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think if people are curious about any of the stuff that I talked about, um, you know, I, I'm Instagram, I'm Sparkle is as Sparkle does, um, but also like a queer chaplain um, mm-hmm. on YouTube. Um, I do have some YouTube videos up, and I'm hoping to be doing more of that. Um, I've been wanting to write a book for a while, um, and I think I might actually do it through video. Um, and probably through um, Instagram, TV, and YouTube. Okay. All right. Uh, well, yeah. Um, yeah, thanks for giving me some of your Sunday night. And uh, yeah, just thanks again for, for being on. I was really, really happy to have you. Yeah, thank you so much. And good luck with your podcast. I listened to some of, listen to them, and they've been really great to listen to. So good luck with your adventure and your journey. Oh, thank you very much. You're putting good stuff out. You're putting good stuff out in the world. Thank you.